There we go. Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Psalm 14, verses 1 through 7. We found on page 436 of your pew Bibles, or 849 in the large print. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your amazing love for us. And Lord, this morning, as we approach your word, we ask that you would that you would not let it be in one ear and out the other, that you would not let it bounce off any hard ears or hard hearts, but God, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would open our eyes to see who you are and what you are doing in this world. God, that you would give us hearts that are soft and ready to be molded and shaped like clay in your hands, that we would be changed from the inside out into the people that you have created us to be. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 14, for the director of music of David. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread. For God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Turn to our New Testament lesson, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. We found on page 926 in our pew Bibles, or 1774 in the large print. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and, a, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And turning then to our sermon text, Matthew chapter 13 Verses 33 through 35, Jesus teaching. It says, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
You know, misunderstanding, it's really easy. In fact, I am becoming increasingly convinced that there is no, there is no communication that can't be misunderstood. When I was a kid, before people knew me as Joe, I was Joseph. And even that would be misunderstood. Nice to meet you. What's your name? Joseph. Good to meet you, Justin. <laughs> I got that all the time. And I promise you I was not saying Justin. Eventually I decided I'll go by Joe. This will be easier. Nobody will confuse that. Nice to meet you, Joel. No. I don't know. Now, it's really easy to misunderstand even the simplest things. Those, of course, just, you know, it happens. You hear things wrong. You're expecting one thing. You hear another. But it's especially easy to misunderstand things when we have ulterior motives, when we have a motive to misunderstand. I don't know if you saw the report after the, um, oh, the vice presidential debate recently. Don't worry, I'm not going too far into politics. Just a little example here. But the GOP had released on their website that uh, Mike Pence had won the debate. But they released that two hours before the debate started. <laughs> How does that happen? I will tell you. That happens the same way most of us would approach something like that. Because for most of us, what we get out of the debate, when we watch something like that, has more to do with the attitudes we had going in than it has to do with the content of the debate itself. And so you have people on either side, whatever your positions are on those things, where you probably could have called the debate before it started too. <laughs> right? And the same thing can happen in all forms of communication. When the message that we hear sometimes doesn't have to do with the message itself, but where our hearts are going in. One more example. Completely left me. So we will go here instead. Jesus talking in parables. We've been looking at this series of parables that Jesus is telling of the kingdom of heaven is like. And think people, oh, that's the other, that was the other example I was going to give you. Yeah, misunderstanding things and the, having the reason to misunderstand. Big one. Um, the reason we misunderstand political debates and those sorts of speeches is because we have our minds made up ahead of time what this has to do with. And so, same thing can happen for us. For example... When, uh, when you hear me making announcements about um, a tutoring program on Tuesday afternoon, it is really easy. And I don't mean like in a malicious way or like somebody's really trying hard not to hear this the right way. I mean in a completely innocent way, hearing me make these announcements and think, he's talking to other people. That's not about me. It happens. <laughs> I have done this myself many a time. Even when that message may be exactly for you. And okay, so here's the transition <laughs> to the parables is that Jesus is talking directly to people who think he's not talking about them. And yet, that's one of the things that can make the parables particularly powerful. 
where they may be welcomed in as a story. Kind of the same way, um, do you remember the, uh, the story of the, the Trojan War and the Trojan Horse? Remember that? Yeah? You're good. Not able to take the city of Troy, the Greeks then have this elaborate plan where we'll build a big wooden horse and we'll put the warriors inside and then, uh, and then we'll pretend to leave, but we won't really. And then the Trojans come out and they see the big horse bring it inside, and uh, yeah, thinking there's nothing to it. It's, just, it's a horse. It's no longer about the battle. It's about something else. And they bring it inside the defenses, so it gets past the defenses, and then they find out there was something more to it. The warriors come out, and the city's overtaken. Um, I think that there's something about parable that works at that level. Because it's really easy to hear the stories uh, of the Bible. It's really easy to hear uh, the message of the kingdom of God and to continually think, that's not about me. Or to continually think, I don't need to listen because I already know this. Let me ask you this. How easy do you think it is after going to worship services year after year after year to miss the message because you tune out and you think about other things. And so you find yourself, after going through the entire service, you leave, and what you're thinking about is either being critical of the, the style of the sermon or critical of the style of the music or critical of uh, what the lady two pews over was wearing. Did you see her? My goodness. (laughs) Thinking about everything else and completely missing the message of the kingdom of God come to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so you're around it or it's around you, but it's not getting in. And we find ourselves actually having um, hardened and calloused hearts to the message itself. You remember uh, maybe getting shots and vaccinations at some point. You know how those work? Where they give you the shot of the little bit of, uh, of the bad thing, the virus or whatever, and, uh, and it goes in, and your body has natural immunity to it. And so when you get the virus in there a little bit, then it says, ooh, we need to fight this. But you've got enough immunity that you can take that on. But then your body remembers what that is, how to fight it, and it builds up its immunity to that particular thing. So then the next time you're infected, even if it's with a bigger dose, you're ready and you can fight it off. I think this is what happens a lot of times in churches with uh, the message of Jesus. is we hear little bits of it, and every single one of us has a natural immunity to the gospel. We all have turned away, and we all have ulterior motives. We all have those motives that say, I don't want to hear that. Because the gospel, which means good news, is always bad news before it's good news. It's always, the message of Jesus is king always implies with it that you are not king. And we all want to be king. We all want to be the ones who get to say what's right and wrong and what we get to do and don't do. 
We want to decide that for ourselves. We don't want anybody to rule over us. And so we have a natural immunity to the message of the gospel that says, you have sinned. You are sinning. You have turned away from God. But there's good news. And we don't want to hear the first part. And so we harden ourselves to it. And so we end up becoming, building up our resistance and our immunity to the message of the gospel. And here's the worst part, is you can do that, and you can be completely convinced that you're not doing it at all. Because you're still sitting in church week after week. You're still hearing the uh, message preached. You're still hearing, you're singing the songs, and you're hearing the words. But it's not getting in. And so we fool ourselves, and we become immune to the message. Jesus says in Matthew 13, um, one of the reasons he preaches in parables, starting in verse 13, he says, this is why I speak to them in parables. He says, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their eyes. <laughs> Everybody hardly hears with their eyes, don't they? What he said was, they hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. They have calloused and hardened hearts. And one of the things the parables do as Jesus preaches them is it reveals where their hearts are. Some who are ready to receive the message of the good news of the kingdom of God, hear and understand the parables for what they are. Others don't. And they walk away and go, what neat story. However, I don't think that's the purpose of the parables anymore. Because now we're on the other side of the cross. We're on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus. And so when we look at the parables, we can look at them more as the disciples who Jesus would tell the parable, and then he pulls his disciples together and he'd say, all right, let me tell you what this means. Let me explain it so you see and you understand the meaning of the story. There's more to it than just an entertaining story. And this is hard for us today to think there's more to, to a story than entertainment because we are in a culture that is all built around either buying things or being entertained. I mean, that's pretty much it. And so entertainment is what we go in for. But to actually be changed by it? Surely not. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Nathan comes to David, the king, and tells him a story. It's a fun story. It's an entertaining story. It's a good story. So there was a guy who had a whole bunch of sheep, lots and lots of sheep, there was another guy who only had one little lamb, and he loved it. And he, it was his, like a pet lamb, raised it with his children. It was like a daughter to him. And then the guy that had a bunch of sheep had a visitor come to town. So what do you think he did? He'd take one of his sheep or one of his cattle or one of his animals to slaughter? No. He went and he took the one little lamb from that other guy. And he took that and he killed it. And he served it to his visitor. It's a good story, right? David hears this. Entertaining story. And he is moved by it. 
And he says, you know, here, David's a king. And he's like, this may not just be a story. This might be something that's actually going on in my kingdom. And if this is something that's going on in my kingdom, I'm the king. I need to say what happens here. That guy should die. The one who did this should not live. And then Nathan turns to him and says, you are the man. And not in a good way, like, you're the man, but like, you're the one who did this. You're the rich guy who now deserves to die because of what you've done, because this is what you did to Uriah when you took his wife and, in fact, took his life. And at this point, that Trojan horse gets past the defenses of David's heart that had become increasingly calloused. And it goes in and blows everything up. And he is cut to the heart, and he repents. He turns back to God after he had turned away in what he'd been doing and the way he'd been living. Do you think it would have been the same if, David had, if Nathan had walked in and said, King, I think you've been sinning. Out! <laughs> you must die. Um, and yet, in his use of this story, it gets past the defenses, and there it goes. Now, I've used several examples, and you're like, these are terrible examples because it's constantly like bad stuff getting in. <laughs> but aren't you talking about the kingdom of God and how that's supposed to be impacting our lives? Yes, I am. But I think I'm justified in using examples of, you know, viruses <laughs> go in and then we become immune to that, or uh, the Trojan horse that comes in and the warriors come out and all that. Because what Jesus uses in this particular parable we're looking at this morning, are we? Yes, we are. Um, in Matthew 13, verse 33, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. There's the parable. What is the image he gives us? Yeast. Why does that justify my use of these other things? Because mostly, not always, but mostly in the Bible, anytime yeast is mentioned, it's mentioned in a bad way, like in connection with sin. And so Jesus tells his disciples at another point, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. We just read in 1 Corinthians where Paul tells... um, where is that? Paul tells the church in Corinth to get rid. <laughs> get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch. And so we have this yeast as that which is bad and that which is uh, connected with sin. And yet here Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. And here that should cause people to go, wait, what was that? Did he really just say, like, yeast? But it's not that he's saying that it's in a bad way. He's using the example of what yeast does, which normally, it makes good sense for him for that to be connected with sin, because how does sin affect you? Does sin just affect a little bit of you? No. Sin affects everything. It messes up. I mean, just taking the one piece of fruit, and suddenly, the whole world is messed up because it works through everything. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that, but in reverse. Instead of being affected with all the bad and letting that spread through everything, it's the good that goes through and affects everything. And you see this, by the way, in the life and the person of who Jesus is. How do things normally work? If, you're, if somebody's sick, and you go over, you're very close in contact with them, and you're healthy, they're sick, now what happens? Now you have two sick people. 
This goes backwards with Jesus. Jesus bringing the kingdom of God is the source of all healing, and there's a sick person, and there's Jesus, and now what happens? You have two healthy people. The kingdom of God works backwards and spreads through with goodness affecting everything rather than the other way around. Now, why, what is the point of saying it's like yeast? We looked last week at the, the seed, the mustard seed, the really tiny seed, and it grows really big. This is the same kind of idea, but it's not just that it grows in size. It's that it transforms everything as it works through. A little bit of yeast, a handful of yeast, and it goes through 60 pounds of dough. Do you know why Jesus didn't say walnuts? Like, I wasn't expecting he would have, but go with me here. If he had said, the kingdom of heaven is like walnuts, most of us probably would have gone, all right. Because that's actually what we expect the kingdom of heaven is like, is walnuts. Like, I'm still not following you. Hang on. Because what happens if you were to take a handful of walnuts and put it into 60 pounds of cookie dough? We're going to go with cookie dough because that's delicious. You put the handful of walnuts in the cookie dough and you mix it all around and then you portion it out and you bake the cookies and what happens? Some cookies have a walnut. Some cookies don't, right? That's what we tend to think the kingdom of heaven is like. That it will affect some parts of our lives, but other parts it won't. That it will affect some parts of our culture, but other parts it won't. That it will affect some parts of the world, but other parts it won't. We think the kingdom of heaven is like walnuts. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. The woman takes and she mixes it into the dough. And even though it's a small amount, it works through the whole thing. And you cut that into loaves and you bake it all up. And now, you slice through any part of that dough, you're going to find air bubbles. There's not part of it that bread. Slice through the bread. You're going to find the air bubbles there. And that yeast has worked through every bit of that dough and transformed it into something that it wasn't before. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Now, this kind of parable, hopefully we can hear it and we can think to ourselves, not, what an interesting story. But we can see how that gets past, hopefully, our own natural defenses. And we can see how the kingdom of heaven can work like yeast in our own hearts and lives. You know, we're promised to get a new heart, I think another way of looking at um, this yeast metaphor is even just like our blood as it pumps through our bodies. What happens if you cut off the circulation to one part of your body for too long? It dies, right? It's got to get through everywhere, everything. And even down to the smallest bits of us, you have these tiny little capillaries bringing the nutrients that we need to every single little part of our body. When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast, it's the same kind of idea, that it works through everything and transforms us to bring us what we need. The good things coming from Jesus as our king. Now, we could still walk away from here having heard this message and still think the kingdom of heaven is like walnuts. We're told that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But you know, sometimes I hear 
the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some of you are thinking you just repeated yourself, but I didn't. The Bible tells us about the fruit of the Spirit, and sometimes we talk about the fruits. As though I could be affected in patience, but not in joy. I could be affected in this way, but not in that. It's the fruit. It all goes together. It's all a part of this whole total transformation that takes place. When we become those who are part of the kingdom of God that has come in the person of Jesus and will be fulfilled when he comes again. And so we think to ourselves, yeah, Jesus is king, sure. And that absolutely affects the way that, um, the way that I'm going to vote, but not in the way I'm going to treat my wife. Or that is absolutely going to affect the way that I, uh, that I raise my kids, but not in all the way that I do business. That, of course, is going to affect the way that I work. But it's not going to have anything to do with how I spend my free time. Of course, it's going to affect the way that I talk to people when I'm face-to-face with them, but it's going to have nothing to do with what I say, to the, say about them behind their backs. Of course, it's going to affect what I do with my hands, but not the way that I use my tongue. Of course, it's going to affect the kinds of things that I listen to, but it has nothing to do with what I look at on the Internet. Of course, it's going to affect these parts of my lives, these parts of my life, but not these. Because I think the kingdom of God is like walnuts. Please hear me. Jesus didn't say walnuts. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in to about 60 pounds of flour. And still it worked through the the whole batch of dough. The whole thing being completely transformed. May this message get past your defenses today. That the message of Jesus would get into your heart and life and work all through you. Individually, that it would work all through all of us as a church, as a community, as a nation, and as the world. That we would see the kingdom of God come not only in the beginnings, but in fulfillment as Jesus comes again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.